1: Drivers, start
0: your engines! Get the pace car! What's for? Because you need any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect.
1: When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your guest for the next hour as we uh, preview Memorial Day weekend and go over all the, the races from last week. So uh, joining me in the studio, Richard Uden. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? It's all good,
2: man. It's all good.
1: All good. All good. Yeah, we may have Louise join us a little later. He's traveling back from Texas. Uh, probably still unpacking his bags, but uh, hopefully we'll get him in here, uh, get his report from the Texas all-star race. But so we did have uh, the all-star race in Texas, uh, Indianapolis, uh, had the qualifying set the grid for the 500 and the, um, the very boring race that we predicted for, for, uh, for Spain, uh, (laughs) turned out to be, um, actually a pretty good watch and uh, we'll get, get into that in a minute, but let's, uh yeah, let's start out with Indianapolis. Um, we've got uh, a pretty clean month all around. Uh, you know, we saw, um, the only guy that really had an incident with the wall, um, uh, with any like significant, you know, kind of impact was Dalton Kellett. And that was on the Monday after qualifying. We did see, uh, you know, a couple guys at minor contact Jimmy Johnson earlier in practice. Jimmy Johnson had a, had a moment on his first qualifying lap that, um, knocked him out of getting into the fast six but uh overall I look-
2: Sata had a bit of a Bit of a clip of the wall as well, didn't they? Oh uh, the yeah, time?
1: just just a little brush, a little brush, yeah. And then Takuma Sato, of course, made the mistake of not going onto the warm-up lane after his lap, which impeded Marco Andretti's lap, which ended up having him get his time disqualified. He had to go back out. So which which that's just odd for you know for a, a guy like Takuma who's experienced had been around to, yeah. to not not realize that you know he's supposed to get into that uh, get into that. I don't know if he had. had you know, misses lap count or what, but, uh, you know, for Marco, um, you know, former pole sitter here is mired in the back. Uh, uh, you know, Takumo sneaks into the the top 12, but doesn't make the top six. Um, uh, just didn't have quite the speed there of the Ganassi cars. So Genassi, the position,
2: Gen- no Gen-
1: yeah. Solid, solid position for him. Yeah. But, uh, Chip Ganassi got all, all five of their cars into the fast 12, um, which was Quite an impressive feat. They've got two other cars starting first and second with Scott Dixon turning his qualifying lap at uh, an average that's over 234 miles per hour, which is... The fastest pole run ever in Indianapolis history. It's not the fastest qualifying run because uh, that would belong to Ari Lyndeck, who qualified at a little over 236 miles an hour. But because that wasn't set on pole day back to the rules at that time, he started 20th. But um, an impressive run for Dixon. Uh, he was you know, I, I myself got called out on social media because somebody had before. Hey, do you think we'll see anybody get a 234 run and my answer was, I think we'll probably see a couple of guys hit 234 on the first lap, maybe the second, but nobody's going to get a 234 average over the four laps. <laughs> well, see, that's what I get for. So one guy did, and that was uh, Scott Dixon, his fifth pole. Uh, again, he's within 75 laps of becoming the all-time leader at the Speedway. He enters the 500 as a solid favorite, as does his teammate, Alex Pillow. Uh, who, who performed fantastically at this uh, race last mm-hmm. year, finished second, you know, put, only because he was outfoxed by uh, that old man who was uh, winning his fourth. So um, what were your impressions of the, uh, the qualifying in the field? There's, there's some really interesting fast cars starting deep, deep in the field.
2: Yeah, we sort of touched on it, didn't we, in our little sort of offline group chat? Is it like row 12 or row 13? Is absolutely stacked. Yeah. There's a couple of Penskes and Elios back down there, I think, isn't it? I, I, I can't remember the exact lineup, but and uh, yeah, was, was,
1: was it Herta, Herda, New Garden, and Elio back there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, it'd be interesting if those guys sort of, you know, almost. And there's another couple of other really guys you expect to be pretty fast in there. You'd almost wonder if they don't all sort of get together and say, let's work together, uh, you know, as a pack and, and try and move through the field, uh, you know, as, as a pack, and then and then you know for the first 150 laps and then let it all hang out on the last 50 and see what happens. But uh, I think, you know, they have to, have to work together a little bit to, to get there. I'm, I'm sure. But yeah, it, it was fascinating. And one thing I, I do want to comment on was, and we, we touched on it there earlier was, I think it was Dalton Kellett's accident that he had. Um, I think it was turn one, just trying to go around the outside of Roman Grosjean, I think, and just didn't have the space and, and just back end set out and hit the wall pretty hard. And I think the, uh indycar released some some information on that accident and it was um the car suffered an impact of over 100 g deceleration whereas on the biometric sensors that the drivers wear actually in their ears uh the driver only suffered a deceleration of 30 g uh, at his head which is still a, a pretty big impact which he'll be sore for a good few days after that but it's a massive reduction in energy compared between a 100g impact and a 30g impact. So, um, you know, I think that the again we have to praise uh, IndyCar and the work they've done to improve the safety of these uh, these cars. But it was uh, yeah, testament to what they do, um, and, and and good to see him walk away, although probably a little gingerly. Um, and a you know bit of a mess of a car, but it'll it'll that, that can be fixed a lot easier than drivers can. So, uh, but yeah, outside of that, yeah, I the, really the, uh, yeah. The interesting,
1: the interesting thing to your point about the uh, you know the reduction in the in the G forces, you know, between the the hit the car took and the driver took, is you know everybody seems so intent on retiring the the DW12 tub. You know what I mean? But it has yeah. pr- it has proven to be a miraculously safe car, you know, and it was designed with the safety in mind. And, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we thankfully have not had anybody with really horrible injuries, um, you know, due to that car. Uh, I mean, I mean, there was the, you know, the Wilson incident, but that was, that was, uh, he he was, yeah, he was getting struck, getting struck by uh, uh, the nose cone off another car. But since then, I mean, if you watch Kellett's crash, you know, you know, back if you watch a crash from the 80s or 90s, there's parts scattered all over the track, yeah. right? Yeah. Very very few, very little debris coming off of Kellett's car there. It's just the way yeah. the car, cars are constructed and certain, you know, those other, you know, the tires are tethered on, the noses are tethered on. It, it's just really a good solid, safe car, you know, capable of running these speeds. So, uh, you know, if, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some design tweaks here or there, but, but the, the DW12 itself, I mean, it's really you know, it was designed with safety in mind and, yeah. um, you know, and it's uh, everyone's everyone's on the same level playing field. Cause it's a spec chassis. So we can have the safety mount. We don't have to shave any corners in the interest of being faster than the other guys. Exactly. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah. But yeah, but just, just, I mean, really interesting data from IndyCar on the Kellett crash.
2: Yeah. And, and good seeing as you say, yeah, they're obviously, you know, the rushing to change it and update it, which I think is a little bit uh, premature maybe because I think it's a, still produces some damn good racing and so I would be excuse me careful what you wish for there when they look at changing the um changing the chassis there. But yeah I mean obviously over time these things do get knocked around and banged and I'm sure you know I'd be surprised if Dalton Kellett's tub could run again and that was a pretty big impact. The actual main monocoque chassis would was probably on the scrap heap, uh, as we speak, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, what do you, what do you gain from changing that, t- that tub there? Um, I, 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 I really don't know.
1: Um, no, me either. Yeah. So otherwise if people want to see something where the, windscreen is a little more integrated into the the chassis yeah. design yeah so but i think uh, they've been
2: talking about that haven't they i think there is a little bit more going on there
1: yeah I mean they were talking like 2024 2023 mm-hmm. but i, I think they, they're pushing it back again i think they're going to make the next you know chassis match the next uh set of engine rules and and you which, may which need are, you... Which, yeah exactly yeah
2: yeah you know you're obviously, you obviously your your engine and chassis are pretty integral to each other so it may be that the current chassis at the moment couldn't handle a hybrid engine or whatever they're looking at um, and in the same way that the current next gen nascar chassis can accept a hybrid engine so um, you know whereas the gen six couldn't so or easily anyway so yeah they've obviously got a future proof these things and yeah 2025 i think would be a, a sound you know the chassis then would be what 13 years old, so uh, yeah, it's probably a, some of the manufacturing processes and safety initiatives and designs would probably be improved by then. So uh, I think that's a good window of opportunity to do that, but I don't think it's purely a performance-based situation.
1: Yeah, so let, let's talk about let's talk about the engines then, okay? A lot of folks are saying, wow, you know, Honda really Honda really has this under control, but uh, you know, if you look a little deeper at it. Uh, you know, the numbers are skewed a little bit because honestly, the, the people who've got it best, right. Are Chip Ganassi racing and Ed Carpenter racing, right. Yeah. So you, you're talking five Honda engines versus three Chevys. Right. Yep. You know, but, but I think that, you know, VK is every bit as fast as, as any of the Ganassi cars. And he's you know proven to be quite fast through all the practices and whatnot. And, um, you know, he's uh, the these these all all three of these guys in the front row are Dixon's 234-0, you know, two thirty-three five for Palou and two thirty-three three eight for VK. And then Carpenter's right next, two thirty-three, you know, oh eight. And then a little drop down to Erickson and Canon. So yep. and then, then, then the next row behind them, then you've got the two McLarens, which are two more Chevy edges. So, so I don't really don't I don't buy the the fact that Honda's got it right this year. I, I buy the fact that you know Ganassi's got it right this year. Uh, Penske's faltered uh, somewhat. That doesn't mean they won't be strong in the race because uh, uh, especially with their driver lineup, you can't count those guys out. Um, Andretti faltered in qualifying. Um, uh, you know, I think Grosjean was the only guy to get into the get into the mm-hmm. top 12 so uh, so we'll just have a see how that plays out but I I really feel like the uh, the, the Chevy and Honda are pretty equally matched I don't think one has uh, an advantage over the other I think it's more of uh, you know just the, the team setups and whatnot
2: yeah I think that the biggest thing you're going to see um, over the course of the week And what so, so one of the things you've got to remember is um the cars are very, very different between qualifying and the race, when, especially when it comes to spec and also gearing, gear ratio setting. Because in the... Um, if you run... you know, like they're doing qualifying with no other cars around, they'll never hit the, 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 the rev limiter during qualifying. You will during the race because you're in the draft. And you're being dragged along, so your um, you know the end the, the gear ratios and engine mappings and all these sort of stuff are very very different between the race and uh, the race and qualifying. So it'll be interesting to see the you know is that a consistent variable uh, if that makes sense uh, between the two manufacturers there. Do you you know are they both non-optimized by the same amount as you would be compared to uh, race weekend? So uh, I think qualifying is very, very early to make that call, considering the differences between the two disciplines, basically.
1: Yeah. And then then again, you know, you you don't know how these guys have set up their cars either. You know what I mean? Because it it is a long race. Right. And, And, you know, in some sense, you'd be better off to work on your race setup as long as you get a decent starting spot. Yeah, not 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 worried about setting a record or setting on the front row, although it's nice to sit on the front row. But if you if you have a good solid race day setup in a car that's balanced and handles well in traffic, um, that'll that's going to benefit you more over the 500 miles than, you know, the guy that can go fastest for four laps out there by himself. But uh, I got to say, as I look at this thing, right, (laughs) Dixon is way overdue for that second Indy 500 win.
0: come oh
1: so close so many times and have you know you know something go wrong you know maybe he had a shot at at Takuma in 2020 uh if there hadn't been that last caution you know he's uh he's you know again he's the guy's led uh so many laps there so uh, I really think Dixon's got to be the solid favorite but if I but if I wanted to like like take a a a dark horse or uh I don't even know if I want to call him a dark horse but uh, uh, you know this is one of kanan's best shots to get his second indie win too mm-hmm. and if you recall when he did get his first indie win it was he, not, he was not with uh one of the top teams he was you know with jimmy vassar which is one of the smaller teams there and he was able to pull that off uh but now he you know he's in solid ganassi equipment ganassi looks to be the class of the field he's right up there near the front he's yep. a cra- crafty guy led a lot of laps there and, and again. The five hundred is the kind of race that rewards experience, you know. Of course, yeah. But but at the same time, I, you know, Paloo, <laughs> you know, the dude is yeah. just—he uh, is—he he drives like a veteran, you know, yep. just, despite being a youngster. So, who do you like? I mean, who are you gonna who are you gonna be keeping your eyes on?
2: I think somebody that I think they had a pretty good uh, qualifying. I can't remember his exact position but uh, I think Alexander Rossi's in a pretty good starting spot isn't he I may be wrong where's uh, where does he start the race this weekend um,
1: Rossi's starting 20th
2: okay so maybe not as good a starting position as I thought yeah um, I'm trying to think who yeah I, I, I could I wouldn't imagine him having a uh, you know a, a pretty strong weekend but again as you say you've got to look at um, one of the more um sort of established guys haven't you um you know this is an endurance race this is a race of skill and guile and um you know what, what, what you've got to be there at the end um i mean would you would you count out uh you know maybe maybe something like willpower coming from that mid pack uh you know to get a good result um
1: no no his, I, uh, you I, would, know. I, I would not count out willpower no uh, no a no. matter of fact he's not he's not that he's starting 11th he's, yeah he's, he's, a- he's, he's not mired too awful far back no. uh, but some of the guys that that i would watch out for that are kind of far back would be like a graham ray hall right yeah you know and he had what, was it last
2: year when he was having a really strong run and then he, he had that incident exiting pit road that yeah, is correct ha-
1: had the tire bounce on him there there's louise yep.
2: hey how's it going
1: Oh man, uh, yeah. I'm sorry about that, guys. But anyway,
3: yeah. Graham Rahal had a peculiar race day, and I'm judging by the fact that we're talking about Indy, right? Yep.
1: No, I was actually talking about uh, Bathurst 1000.
3: <laughs> no, no, we're, oh, talk, we're oh,
1: nice. talking, we're I talking, we're talking about Indy. not running. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, he's not running. That's why Rahal's suddenly the favorite. <laughs>
3: Now Ray Hall and Bathurst might have, might be intriguing for the few of them might care, but no, yeah, it it was a yeah back from Texas and all, so yeah, I'd say it's been going all right aside from a couple of hiccups along the way, but
1: yeah. All right, yeah. Well, good to see you. And what we'll do is, uh, we'll get into your report from uh, from the All Star race here shortly. But uh, what uh, Richard and I were doing, we'll go ahead and you know talk about who we want to really keep an eye on in the fi- in the five hundred field um, you know, you as the, the race progresses. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard.
2: I'm going to I'm going to pick him as a winner. So we'll, we'll we'll hold off on that surprise until we get to the winner.
3: You know, that is an interesting one, but there's three drivers that I know for a fact I'm going to keep an eye on. One of them is David Malukas. I feel like he's going to be a perennial dark horse to stop Jimmy Johnson from winning Rookie of the Year honors for the Indianapolis 500. He's been quietly consistent. And while Sato has been super fast, Malukas isn't awfully behind. He's a couple spots down the, the charts, but he's been, all things considered, doing really well. And one of the very few, I think if I recall, is one of the only if not the only rookie that has some sort of experience prior to testing the Indianapolis, because from what I understood, he ran in road to Indy at IMS for the free to 100, but really didn't get an opportunity to run outright because he got taken out early on to my knowledge. in one of those Chris Wyndham incidents that gave to the fine his month of May, a long time ago.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's lined up thirteenth, uh, and again, you know, his teammate um, Sato, two-time winner there. I'm sure he's getting uh, uh him and uh, Sato were probably sharing some information, and I'm sure he's going to glean everything he can learn from Sato, who has proven to be, you know, pretty darn good around the speedway. And, and Sato, another guy you want to watch out for on race day.
3: Oh, no question. Another driver that I will probably eye on is still. Simon Pagano, yeah, he's not had the greatest month. Well, Myra Shank hasn't necessarily set the world on fire this month of May compared to last year, where they were quietly quick. They were like there, there, but under the radar. This year, they're kind of there. They're not under the radar. They haven't really quite shown me much. But the reason why I keep an eye on Pagano is mostly for the fact that he's driving the, ch- the team that won the 500 last year. And also the fact that. Had the race been a little bit longer, lap, uh, ten laps more, I think Pagano would have easily been in the mix in that 500 win. So when you combine those two elements, Pagano is pretty sporting at Indianapolis. I say keep an eye on him because if things fall in his favor, we might be looking for back-to-back 500s for Myers Shank. It's a bit of a reach compared to what I what I felt like at the beginning of the season, where we had to make like a preseason any 500 pick, but I still keep an eye on that guy. And finally, I say Marcus Erickson. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Erickson. Yeah. I guess anybody in a Ganassi car has got a really good shot this year.
3: Yeah. It's just Erickson. is the most, it's always like the one I've always been intrigued on. It's like, People talk about all oh, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, like, could he have a shot to winning the 500 as a rookie? Will this be Dixon's final, finally the year Dixon win it all? Can Canaan bring the number one back to victory lane at Indy or Alex Pelot after a strong 2021 effort? Will he put himself in a position to, f- to win it in his third 500 start? Erickson has always been like the guy, like, behind- knocking on the door guy. Kind of, very under the radar, but he produces strong results. And I think each year he has been in any car, he's progressively gotten better and better and better. It's hard to say that Erickson is a dark horse, despite being in a car that you can say they're the team to beat, which they are. And ask, they are the team to beat. And Erickson has been strong. Just a matter of still feel like he may surprise people at the, at the end of the day. And it's not the first time we're going to see somebody done it. I mean, Ray Hall had a strong effort at Ganassi a decade ago. Max Shilton was in the mix for a win half a decade ago. Maybe Erickson may be a guy that could be celebrating a win, which, if I recall, puts him along and joined Kenny Brack as the only Swedes to win the 500.
1: All right. The other thing about Erickson, though, if as you noted, there's a lot of attention on, you know, Kanaan, Dixon, and Johnson. It probably helps Erickson, you know, be less distracted, you know, kind of kind of just stay under the radar, just go out and do his thing, less distractions, you know what I mean? Just just go ahead and prepare for the race, you know. And, and I, I think I think Erickson's got as good a shot as anybody. But the one guy I want to talk about who surprised me is uh, Montoya. His, uh, I mean, his McLaren teammates are lined up 7th and 8th, and Montoya is 30th, right? He's, you know, 228 mile an hour average. You know, he just, he really hasn't shown any significant speed uh, all Say I, I wonder if he's just phoning it in at this point or, or if the fact that the third car expansion at McLaren is he's getting leftovers, you know? I I don't know about so, yeah. that
3: because last year he was in the third McLaren. He put it in the top 10. He found a way to put it in the top 10. And when you look at the Grand Prix before he lost, he lost it at the very end. albeit will We're talking about the Grand Prix circuit compared to the oval. He's he slowly methodically worked his way to a good result. So I will not sleep on Montoya. I mean, Montoya is no stranger from working his way from the back to the front. That's how he won his most recent 500.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah oh, oh, yeah. yeah. In 2015, he dropped all the way down to 32nd place early in the race and then won the thing. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see that, but I think
3: phoning it in, I don't necessarily think so. I think he'll put up a respectable result, but time will tell. It's got, like, again, when it comes to Indy, everything's got to have to fall in the driver's favor at the exact time, not too little too late like at carpenter a year ago
0: and
1: carpenter's another guy we haven't mentioned that could you know he, he could sneak a win in there too he's got a lot of miles at the speedway you know he's got some poles there he has a you know very very disappointing second second place to willpower in 18 uh, where he ran really well all day so uh yeah carpenter's another guy that uh uh, you know, and and a lot of people have thinking, oh, you know, Ed's Ed's lost a step. You know, particularly his um, other over performances haven't been great. Uh, you know, com- but um, but he, my gosh, he was really good in qualifying, and he and his team knows how to put together a good 500 car. So, but let's get back to you, Richard. Yep. And uh, you were you were getting ready to, ready to tell us uh, who you were going to pick for the winner because I <laughs> I'll I'll go on record. I'm saying Dixon. Yep. But
2: well, you actually just mentioned there, Ed Carpenter.
1: All right. So would the, you, I think. Ed, Ed Carpenter's your guy's way overdue. Yeah. He would uh he would he would break a record I'd for the, uh, that one, uh, would they? No, oh, golly, the Indianapolis fans would go nuts.
2: Yep. And I do have another question after this, but anyway, carry on.
1: All right. Well, Louise, you go ahead make your pick for win, and then uh we'll we'll get to Richard's question. I say I say
3: it's going to boil down to, if I had to pick one from Nasty Polo. If I say a Chevy driver, we'll power. But overall, Polo gets it.
1: All right, and back to you, Richard. So I was just looking at this, and
2: it, it struck me. You probably don't know this answer off the top of your head, and if I do, I'll be very impressed. What has been the Indian the 500 with the least number of American drivers in? I think there's only twelve out of thirty-three this
1: year. I don't know if it's uh, if twelve would be the least. It can't be. It's up. It must be up there. I, I was going to say yeah. And the there were twelve out of d- thirty-three. It's a third of them, pretty much. You know. Yeah, I guess said, dur- yeah. During the CART era, we were a little light on American drivers. 93, uh, ninety-three, ninety-five, more than likely, gonna you could see that few. That's my estimate. That'd be something to look at. I remember looking up to see when we had the most American drivers, which was post World War II. Um, because yeah, because I saw some of the early ones that was. Well, the early ones were very international. You had, I mean, French guys won the third, fourth, you know, third and fourth and fifth uh, yeah. Indy 500s, but uh, it was, uh, you know, envisioned as an international race. Uh, in yeah. fact, you know, one of the early names was the International 500.
0: And, mm-hmm. but it was
1: really post-World War II when, you know, most of Europe was rebuilding, uh, that we had, we, we started to see fields that were hundred percent American drivers. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, and then from there, it wasn't until, oh, really the eighties when we started to see a, a, a large influx of, uh, international drivers coming back into the sports. So, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. to answer your question, Least amount of American drivers, I don't know. But uh, 12 12 is actually a pretty good number.
2: Yeah. The last few years have been more than that. There's been like 13 and 15.
1: Let's talk about this Spanish Spanish Grand Prix then, now that we've all got our picks for for Indianapolis. Um, Yeah, we predicted a race would be boring. Actually, Louise did. Um, Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, you were off a of gateway, so you weren't uh, was, yeah. able to put in you. But, yeah, we all kind of agreed that it might be a bit of a snoozer, but it wasn't. It wasn't. We saw yeah. a couple of guys run off the track, including uh, Verstappen, who uh, had a run, yeah, through, run, the- run through the gravel early in the race and was able to gather it up and hold on for the win. With the win, he takes the points lead. Uh, Leclerc with a, with a mechanical DNF. So, um, yeah, talk us, talk us through the Spanish Grand Prix a little bit.
2: Yeah, Barcelona is one of those tracks that it's so sort of aero-critical, if you like. It it often doesn't produce uh, particularly good races, Um, but it it wasn't terrible. Uh, You know, highlights from the race itself was like Alonso driving from the back of the pack was very impressive. Uh, You know, Bottas had another good race. Hamilton had a really strong race after a first-lap contact with um, Kevin Magnussen gave him a puncher and, and dropped into the back of the pack. And he was almost ready to sort of pack it in and, and save the engine, but had a really, really strong drive. Uh, George Russell, again, with a, another strong drive. And uh, yeah, I think special mention also needs to go out to Lando Norris, who completed a race, one of the hottest races of the year, uh, despite suffering from tonsillitis, which of anybody... Especially having tonsillitis as an adult is—I've had that, you know, a few years ago. And it's, it's miserable. Um, so you know, massive credit needs to go to to Lando for for, for doing what he did. Um, but yeah, again, the two standout drivers, both probably with one mistake each throughout the weekend, were were Leclerc and Verstappen. Leclerc had lost his first timed lap in Q3 uh, by spinning at the final chicane, um, and then. Uh, but still managed to come back and take a very, very impressive pole, uh, pole lap. Verstappen struggled throughout, um, or uh, at the end of qualifying, you know, he couldn't get a fast run in at uh, the end of Q3 there with a DRS issue, which plagued him on and off throughout the whole race. Uh, not, not quite sure what was uh, the issue there with his DRS, but you'd see it open some laps, closed other laps, and then some laps it would open for a split second and then close again. And, uh, yeah, it was all a little bit uh, clunky from Red Bull on the technical side there with that DRS issue. And and he did, as you said, he sort of span wide going into turn four there at the top of the hill. Um, you know, they, they his, his, his race engineer came over and told him that he had a gust of wind, which, uh, you know, Barcelona, I've been there a couple of times testing, and it is a very, very exposed uh, track just on the outskirts of barcelona about 20 miles north of the uh, city center there and you're at the base of some mountains and the wind really does whip through there and it can uh, it, it it surprised me how windy it was when i was there but uh, so yeah i can quite easily see these freak gusts catching these guys out as it yeah uh, and uh, it in uh,
1: science had a very similar incident prior to max yeah uh, same science same, same a, part of the course yeah
2: yeah same corner and you know watching science and um, sorry, both science and the Claire's spin on the Saturday and science on the Sunday, respectively, very, very similar. It was a very early part of the uh, sort of corner dynamic, if you like, the turning phase. And yeah, very, very, very strange what happened. It wasn't like the back end stepped out and turned them round sharply. It wasn't snap oversteer or anything like that. It just like the back end just didn't want to turn and it. just sort of drifted off, uh, which is very unusual. And maybe that's a characteristic of that Ferrari car uh, and the way it handles. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, Leclerc has obviously got a better, better grasp on that so far this season compared to science, but uh, yeah, very unusual. And the science one may have been wind as well. We, we, we don't know, but um, yeah, consider what we often consider one of the, the dullest races of the year, I thought had a, a little bit of everything there. Um, you know, Checo drove a great race, and to a certain extent, it was unlucky there being asked to move over by uh, by the team to let Verstappen through. I think Verstappen would have got past anyway, uh, but you know, there were different tire strategies, uh, and part of that was forced. You know, obviously, you know, Sergio Perez there does have a certain amount of uh, you know angst there, understandably, the because as he you know, he can quite rightly turn around to the team and said, "Well, I'm not the one that spun off." So, you know, I've done everything I've been asked of, uh, and whereas Max made a mistake and you're asking me to give way to him. That's a little bit unfair. which yes, you, you, you're probably right in, in, in that assessment, but, um, no, I, I think he was, you know, I think Verstappen would have won anyway. George Russell had another. Well, really strong race. I, I
1: think Leclerc would have won if, uh, if oh, he, yes, for sure. he was, oh, uh, without any oh, he was, like what well, 13, 14 seconds. Yeah, up on he field. was,
2: he was, he was coasting. and. uh, by sounds of things, it was a turbo failure. I don't know if Ferrari put up a an official reasoning, but you heard that that whine of the turbo spin down, which is was pretty, you know, it was pretty telltale of a turbo failure, which is a great shame for them. And because especially considering they had a brand new engine in there or a latest spec engine, um, which Carlos Sainz wasn't running, and also uh, Guang Yuzhou retired as well um, with a suspected engine issue, and he had the same spec engine as um as Charles Leclerc, so yeah hmm, don't know i wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me to don't go back to the older spec engine for monaco because you don't really need the power around there you just need to you know, not blow up um, and and see where we go from there especially with power tracks like baku and uh, uh silverstone on the horizon they're probably going to want to keep those fresh engines for, for those events
1: oh for sure yeah yeah now so yeah so monaco is up next on the calendar uh yep. and, and again this is often considered to be one of the most prestigious races in formula one and yep. and, and, and I kind of what it feels like it's lost a little bit of its luster over the years um yeah uh, you know but but at the same time it's still monaco and it's still you know in, in the driver's minds right it's still still a very prestigious race it still gets a lot of coverage um, it still gets a lot of attention, but um, the, you almost wonder if, you know, Formula One hasn't outgrown the circuit, you know, because yeah. it, it, it is so tight and so unforgiving, you know, because there's, there's no runoff. There's no place to go, you know? And and no. it's always, it's always been that way, but, but the cars are much larger <laughs> now, you know, um, you know, when, when you look at, uh, you know, the little tiny lotuses that like Graham Hill and Jim Clark were running around there compared to these, uh, uh, you know, the modern Formula One car has about the same wheelbase as a, you know, a good sized soccer mom van. You know? <laughs> exactly. So.
2: Oh, no, for sure. For sure. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. There is a, um, mm, how, how, what should we say? People have questioned Monaco for a long time with its um, pure entertainment fact, you know, it's become a procession basically, um, but I think in the last couple of years you've really heard the murmurings and rumours starting to come from the manuf- from the, the, the sports owners, uh, which, which isn't great I, I, I certainly do think that um, you know, we need to stay at Monaco I think it has a place on the calendar, I think you almost want Monaco to be a time trial race you really do because you look at the onboards of these guys when they're at the top of their prowess, driving Monaco flat out, it's breathtaking. And I will stand by this. If there's one place I could stand and watch a Formula 1 car, it's at the exit of the first um, swimming first pool chicane, that, that left-right flick where they're sort of like sliding the car through that second apex, you understand that that exit where that camera is must just be breathtaking.
1: Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I think from a skill level, I think it's the ultimate test of the driver fast, far more so than any of the other tracks we go to. I mean, you make a mistake at Monaco, you're out of the race, pure and simple. You don't you know if what, what happened to Verstappen happened going down into Sandoval, you're in the tyre barrier, you know, Leclerc would be out of qualifying. Um, you know, Science would have had an early, early bath sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's the ultimate test, and I really do hope they keep it. Can they make changes to it to make it more suitable to a modern car? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how these modern cars do handle that on a very because one of the one of the key features of a ground effect car that they're running now. Is the ability to seal the car to the track, seal that under, uh, you know, the under tray of the car or the skirts of the car to the track to generate downforce underneath the car. Now, Monaco so bumpy, uh, and, and and even with the drain covers and the crosswalks and the the paints and all that sort of stuff you see all over the track, um, you know, is it going to work? Are you going to see the car seated and sealed as well as you have in the past? It's going to be a very interesting topic and a very interesting thing to see with the handling of these cars this weekend.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. I mean, you know, it's it's whoever wins this thing. It's going to be a handful. You know, I've got a. Oh yeah. If, if I wanted, if I wanted to, right now, go out on a limb and pick a winner for Monaco, right? And 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 go kind of out of the box. I I would say this is not a big power track, um, and I, and I really want to say, advantage Lewis Hamilton. Right. Mm-hmm. And he gets his no. Gets, no,
2: I think it's going to go the opposite way because the track is so uneven. They're going to have to run the car higher ride heights, which you've seen in the first few races of the year when they were way off the pace. The only reason they were reasonably competitive at Spain is because they were able to lower the ride heights a little bit and get more, generate more grip through that method, rather than actually purely understanding what gives them grip because Barcelona is a relatively smooth circuit, they're able to do that. I think Monica is actually going to go in the opposite direction for Mercedes. And I think they'll be worse than they were uh, at Spain.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, you know a lot of, more about that than I do. So uh, I'll have to go with you, but I'm still going to pick Hamilton. Just, to, you know, <laughs> just, just so you could tell me I was wrong when we, when we get together again in a week. But uh, so who you like, you like Max, you like Charles.
2: Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those two. But it could have be interesting. Uh, you know, you could be, um, you know, you could see science up there. You know, he he banishes some of the demons he's had in the last few see last few races, and uh, you never know. That could be, uh, could be pretty spectacular. For, yeah, for Ma- Ma- but... Monaco
1: has produced some surprise winners in the past. Yeah. It sure has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look no further than Yarn or Truly. Uh, Ricardo Patracy in '82. That was the race. Uh, Olivia Panis. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. For
3: all we know, Derek Daly might have been a Williams winner in Monaco. Had a dicard and broke down at the end when yep, nobody that, wanted to win it.
1: Yeah, that's the race nobody wanted to win. I still remember that race. As a Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I wrote a whole article just about that race. You know, the race. But I just still remember James Hunt. You know, on the radio or on the in the broadcast booth for BBC. Hey because cuz we're all patiently awaiting the start finish line uh, for a winner but we don't seem to be getting one. Uh <laughs> that was uh, yeah. Derek would...
3: Daly, Andrea de DeSesh- Imagine either one of those winning that one.
1: Sure yeah, de, de They used to call him de Crash-eris. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always I always remember the um the 81 the 81 season. Uh that's where McLaren first introduced a carbon fiber car, the MP4. Uh, and uh, John Watson proved that that car could be a winner, and to chassis proved again and again and again that that chassis was safe in a crash. <laughs> yeah, you know? so, yeah. But um, so, Louise, who do you like? Who do you like for Monaco this week um, in this era, not in the eighties?
3: Charles has already been the car, whether or not it been the car already a Monaco. So signs says it's going to get better for him. So I'm going with Leclerc.
1: Okay, Le- Leclerc, same guy who crashed Niki Lauda's car at Monaco. All right, gotcha.
2: That wasn't his fault. The brake road did explode on him. Yes, yes. Yeah, we know.
1: But I he's already got yeah. his
3: mulligan out. So, <laughs> science-
1: <laughs> Yeah, he's got his mulligan out of the way. Good point, good point.
3: So signs say he'll probably have a career race down there.
1: And he needs it because he, he's lost the points lead by a small amount. Uh, the DNF really, you know, dropped him back. It's got max, uh, now in control of this thing. So yeah, um, a bounce back for Charles would be fantastic. All right. So let's talk about your trip this weekend, Louise. Uh, you were down in Texas for the all-star race where we saw, oh, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of everything. We saw a little bit of bump and bang. And we saw some, uh, some scary, some scary incidents and we saw a little controversy, um, and, and the race that we thought was over, that wasn't. So, uh, let me just, uh, turn it over to you and let you kind of break down this, uh, uh, multi-stage, uh, all-star extravaganza.
3: Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's, first of all, remember when I explained everything, what I initially thought was everything about the all-star format that was so mind boggling that I had to read it on a, on a, on my
1: phone. Yes, my, my head still hurts from uh, listening to that. So my
3: head still my head hurts <laughs> to the fact that nobody, I, I don't think anybody realized that. Apparently, if the white if the caution comes out during the white flag lap in the All Star race, the race is not over. So yeah, ARCA style rules were if the caution comes out, it has to end green. It ha- it must end under green. It cannot end. Well, they got one attempt, but that's what ultimately happened. But before we talk about the finish, we want to talk about what happened during the race. First of all, it appeared it was going to be Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain, who I thought were the guys to beat. Those are the, this is the type of racing that would suit both of those guys' style. Busch had led them all. Then he had a cut tire, which he wasn't aware of. That The tire went down, no warning, no sign, no nothing. was completely off the pace. What I was going for, and the, from a photographer's point of view, you get a pan shot of Kyle Busch leading the field. But then I noticed he was going well off the pace and cars were going by. I said, oh, Jesus, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And then, boom, Chastain destroyed the, the left side of Kyle Busch. Chastain, who already had some drama this weekend because he had some cramps that he needed some IV flu- IV taken care of, of, of his body after the truck race because he was dehydrated. He didn't really fully prepare to be in top shape for a truck race. And it ultimately kind of bit him. That he he realized that he should have had taken it more serious than he than he did. So, Chastain had a wild ride because of Chastain got his car up in the air, kept it from going and over in. But out of nowhere, because Chase Elliott was trying to avoid the run, he got drilled by Chastain. So that eliminated Chase Elliott. All so talk about three quality cars out. The, the hottest driver in the sport right now, the most aggressive driver in the sport, and then the guy who has racked up the most amount of points in the regular season does to date. So you took out three caliber rides and a wild wreck and brought out the first all-star red flag since 2013 at Charlotte due to rain when that happened. And then as the race went by, it pretty much became a game of strategy. Who's going to stop Penske trio of Brian Blaney, Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano. No, not breakfast, last Austin Cindric Ryan Blaney, and Joey Logano. And then as the race went by, you see, Blaney checked out. He pretty much checked out. He had that race in the bag. And then a little wobble, a little hiccup on Ricky Stenhouse by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and going on the backstretch warranted a caution, just as Blaney was 300 feet from taking the checker flag. They have the checker flag, and then they, they pulled the flagman, pulled it back, and then they waved the yellow flag. Because of the premature caution, as Scott Miller literally said to the press, Blaney thought he won, taking down the window net. And then because the race wasn't over, he was faced in a huge dilemma that where he's got to fix the window net. Otherwise, he had to be given the black flag. Blaney, they gave Blaney an opportunity. And then their words that they noticed that once he was warming up, the tires going to green, they thought the window net was properly secured. Depending who you ask. The window net may have not been secured, but also they felt like had they brought Blaney to fix it, keep a spot, it was deemed as out of character for NASCAR. I was thinking out of character for a uh, points race. I mean, oh, NASCAR, right, NASCAR yeah, is so no straight all right, sure. It's, yeah. all
1: right, it's already out of character to not end the race when it should have ended.
3: Yeah, NASCAR is yeah. out of character. You want to talk about our character? 2015 Tala Vega when Dale Jr., probably would have, should have won if the rules stood, and if they went with their gut, instead they changed it on the fly, and Legato ultimately won that one and gave Harvard the opportunity to do what he did, quote-unquote, quote, quote unquote, depending who you ask. So once they deemed Bellini's safety net was safe, like safely attached, Blaney had to hold off Danny Hamlin, who was irate. I mean, Hamlin and irate go hand in hand. He was very vocal about it, that they should have followed the rules in his eyes. And then Hamlin has been on a huge tirade, justified or not, depending who you ask, again. And it's just led to many people say, oh, why are we wasting our time here at Texas running the all-star race? Why are we wasting our time having an all-star race to begin with? It's lost its value. I'm in the boat where you can still have it. Just saying, probably just one exhibition race rather than two because the clash is no longer even about who's good in qualifying. They just invited everybody who are charter teams. That's it. In a clash for the all-star race, it was two thirds of the field that ran the all-star race that have charters and only charter teams competed. There were no extra entries like your NY racing, the money team or Carl Long, but people, well, Blaney won controversial fashion. Just a million. First win with his crew chief, Jonathan Hassler, I'll be in a non-points race, but it kind of, and as for me covering the races this season, I'm five, it's five for five for
1: Team Penske. Yeah, you're their good luck charm. Yeah, but the Penske, yeah. the Penske cars look really strong at Texas, all three of them, you know, like you said.
3: Yeah, a Logano does have a point that yeah, they still feel like they need to find some more pace because he felt like guys like Kyle Busch and Rush they were the guys to beat, which I gotta understand his viewpoint. They were able to get the strategy right, and with Logano, he got the big crew got the job done to put him in the in the first couple rows, hundred thousand dollars richer for having the fastest pit stop. There
1: and I'm you, t- there you go.
3: Yeah. I think just overall, it was just a messy, messy, messy ordeal. Not just with the rays, there was some slight confusion about the pit stop competition, what it entails. Like, like apparently the the ten second was not ten seconds, and vice versa. It was just from a photographer point of view, it wasn't the greatest in that in that regard. Because we were, I was curious what they were going to do about it. And then that one, it was Kyle Busch over Ryan Blaney for. Who who will be on the pole for the All Star race? It's just it's pretty clear. Everybody knows this is the worst race of the year with the current car that we've had to date. Not sure if yeah, it's...
1: plus there's just too many gimmicks. You know what I mean?
3: Too many gimmicks. You know too I many these,
1: yeah, these all these pit stop competitions in the middle of qualifying, and they didn't you know factor it's in
3: overtime during stages. Not in the final during stages. So instead of 125, it was 140 last week because a couple of the stages went into overtime.
1: Yeah, just like I said, gets number when it gets too hard to follow, right? And then then you have too much controversy. You just, you, they just need to simplify the thing, right? Uh, you know, and uh, you know, Richard and I were talking off the air earlier that that, that again, this is historically you know, race that would be held in Charlotte where everybody would be there closer to their home base for two weeks. Uh, Now we've, so we've added an extra travel weekend, uh, for the teams and, uh, you know, so, uh, and for what, and the race is not even on network TV. It's on Fox one, right? So yeah, is what it is. But, uh, you know, Ryan Blaney got some money in the bank and, and Denny Hamlin has fodder for his Twitter, I guess. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, so. yeah all all hands on deck for the 600 for those Cup guys which will be the another ultimate test about tires and fuel and how this car would do but i imagine i think some people are just hoping it's a lot better in terms of the quality of racing but we'll have to find out in,
1: in a couple of days all right so let's talk about the 600 then since we've just got about five or six minutes left um so uh, who do you like? Who do you like for the 600? You, you know, we were, we're talking Charlotte, you know, we're talking probably, probably the Toyota guys are going to be strong. That's obviously the, uh, you know, the Chevys, the, the Hendrick cars are going to be good. Uh, Penske's coming off decent momentum from the all-star race. So um, i mean who do you like Louise?
3: Can't go wrong with Kyle
1: Busch, honestly. Nah, this is quite true. Yeah. He, that guy can win anywhere. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, this is,
3: this is coming from the guy who thought was going to go winless this season. So
1: yeah, I don't even know, know who to go with. I'm wondering, I, you know, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, Blaney goes back to back, wins the all-star and then, then wins at Charlotte. Um, I'm also, you know, really kind of uh uh, yeah, Austin Cindric, you know what I mean? If he were to win the two majors in the one year, you know, we still recall he won the uh, Daytona 500 earlier this year, and he really hasn't been much of a factor since then, but but he looked pretty solid at Texas. And Texas got a, you know, very similar profile to Charlotte. So, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. casually wonder if Austin Cindric has got a really good shot there as well, uh, just because that would be, you know, just a great story. You know, somebody winning two majors in their, essentially their rookie season yeah it's just interesting how
3: he hasn't has set the world on fire after winning the five he's going through the rookie jitters which naturally every driver goes through it but he's been hit with it quite a lot so all oh, he just needs some bit of confidence and i think having a pretty good all-star effort may change it a bit because Because he's going to have to get a good run going in case if we have more than 16 winners. Remember, we already have 11.
1: Yeah, that we do.
3: So a strong run is key for those guys, for guys like him and Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson as well.
1: Larson. Yeah, 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 Denny Hamlin's another guy that Martin Truex another guy who's been a little low key this year, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, you know, when it comes to these, these sort of, you know, profile tracks, you know, he was the, he was the king of those back in 17. Uh, and, uh, you know, does he still have that magic? You know, uh, true X seems to be, you know, kind of almost, you know, fading into the background, uh, compared to what else is going on, but I, I think he's still, a uh, pretty solid guy. And, and he's got a good a shot as you know, anybody else. And of course, of course you can't, can't count out any of the Hendricks, you know, cars between, you know, Bowman and Byron, Elliot and Larson. Those guys have been, you know, rock solid all year long. So this is, you know, with the length of 600 miles, it's really anybody's race.
3: Yeah. Huge points. Dave. remember, this is four segments. Unlike we were used to the traditional three. So, You would get, if I recall, 70 maximum championship points. If you win all three, if you win all four stages, you get the maximum amount of points. So, yeah, you get, you'll, if you have a strong night, a real strong night, you can rack up 70 points, the most you can get in the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big, it's it's a lot on the line here. Just like, you know, the guys going to Indianapolis, we got double points uh, for those guys there, you know. So, of course, you know. Formula One, same amount of points for Monaco. We haven't gotten that yeah. gimmick in form- <laughs> we haven't got that gimmick in Formula One yet, but, but uh, we there, did. There there you go. We? we did have it uh,
2: in Abu Dhabi a few years ago, I think. Ah, uh,
1: yes, yes. Plus that we've also,
2: one season. Yeah, we've also done,
1: we've also done the thing with the uh, the points for the sprint races as well. Correct. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. So yeah. That, I think that, I, I figured that's what you were alluding terrible. to
3: the sprint race. So double points in Formula One. Eh. Spread breeze is whatever at this point. Just don't oversaturate it. Yep. Don't,
1: don't overs. Yep, yep. Again, yeah. So, uh, all right. So, we're out of time. So, there, there's about a couple minutes you guys can, uh, uh, if each of you wants to just drop a final thought for uh, for either for last week or or for a preview next week.
2: Uh, on some IndyCar News, we didn't discuss. Apparently, Alexander Rossi has a new contract for next year, but he hasn't said where it is yet.
1: Uh yeah, the hot the hot rumors, McLaren. That's it's yeah. one, one of the worst yeah. kept worst kept secrets in the world. But yeah, I I you know, again, I, I've got to look at Montoya not performing in the third McLaren car. Um and, and wonder if that's you know, victim of, of them expanding before they're really ready to, but, uh, you never, I guess it depends on who they hire and who they, who they bring along. I think McLaren has a lot of resource to be very, very strong as a three car team. Um, and Rossi desperately needs something different in his life. You know what I mean? It's whatever is going on with Andretti is no longer working and it's just, uh, you know, it, it seemed to be frustration after frustration for this poor guy uh, who I still believe has a lot of potential and you know, a lot of great years left. So I think a uh, change of scenery will do him well. And again, the McLaren team is, you know, nothing to shake a stick at those guys, uh, you know, a warden and Felix have been pretty strong in every race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Louise, you, <coughs> your final that's- thought, sir. As for
3: me, I think honestly, NASCAR, as much as decent momentum they've had, they certainly have lost it in a matter, in a matter of a few days that we dealt with. But I think it'd be curious to see how the how the six hundred numbers will reflect because this is this is Sunday is supposed to be the ultimate favorite day of the year. And while I'm not going to be fully cherishing the favorite day of the year this year, I'm just more or less curious how the six hundred is going to unravel. And on top of that. How much, if attrition is going to be a factor in the 500, and as far as Monaco, I've already discussed it. I think all signs say Leclerc will finally break through.
1: Carlos signs says Leclerc, Leclerc will break through.
3: All signs say. Oh yeah, you said all yeah, signs. Yeah. And
1: Carlos is a signs. So,
3: <laughs> oh is my, boy. my
1: little pun for the day. All signs say.
3: I'm, so, I'm surprised pra- you didn't I got it the first time when I said all signs said, like, Fifteen minutes ago.
1: Ah uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Carlos the entire family says Leclerc's gonna win. So all right. Ah <laughs> uh, well good night, guys. Um I wanna thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I wanna thank iHeartRadio Spreaker Google Podcast. I wanna thank Dan Blay Racing Heart. And uh, Mark Dill and Legend of the First Super Speedway. I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank you, Louise. But most of all, I want to thank you folks that listen to us. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the races. And we'll join you again in a week. Until then, good night. whoobavo a W-A-H-Website. Inter website. website